Hello and welcome to The Forge. My name is James and this is the place where I teach verse by verse through the Bible. I am a retired U.S. Air Force Master Sergeant who went on to serve the Lord's Church as an assistant pastor, worship leader, and youth pastor. During my time in these roles, I finished seminary and I hold a Master of Arts in Biblical Studies and a Master of Divinity. I've been involved in ministry in some form for over 25 years, and it is my hope that this podcast will be a blessing to you as I teach from God's Word, the Bible. Forge exists to serve those whom the Holy Spirit is calling into a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. This is done through biblical teaching so that individuals understand God's forgiveness, live in its reality, and overcome the wounds caused by bondage to sin. I will always hold to the truth found in scriptures, and a summary of my doctrinal statement is worded perfectly in the five solas of the Reformation. I believe Christians experience gratefulness and renewed purpose as they are encouraged by the words of life, which spring from the Bible. I pray that this podcast plays a role in God's ongoing work in your life. Don't forget to look in the show notes for links to the podcast website where you can leave a donation or leave a voice message with questions. I will be collecting questions for a future Q&A podcast. Also, please leave a review on whatever platform you are using. That and telling others about this podcast are the two biggest things you can do for me. Now grab your Bible and get ready for a verse-by-verse study. May God bless the reading and the hearing of His Word. Welcome back to our study in Genesis. Today, we are beginning our study in the 46th chapter of Genesis. Israel, the person, has been invited to make his home in Egypt. However, in 400 years from this point in human history, as promised by God to Abraham, Israel, the nation, not the individual, But Israel, the nation, will make its mass exodus from Egypt as its own large nation. And you can look ahead into the book of Exodus and Numbers to read the accounts there. Moses, who some will know already, he was the leader whom God had raised up to bring out the children of Israel from Egypt and take them into the land promised to Abraham, that is the land of Canaan, or we often say the promised land. And I bring this up now because we read in Exodus 13, verses 19 through 22, the Bible says, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped in Etham 
on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart before from before the people. And we see a longing in the heart of the covenant people to not even be buried outside the promised land. And though Pharaoh may have tried, Joseph was no Egyptian. And what is before us today in our journey through Genesis is exactly how God got his people into the land of Egypt, not how he got them out, but how he got them into Egypt. And what will follow is in the book of Exodus, and it must be understood in terms of what happens here. So God preserved his covenant nation while they lived in the midst of an intensely pagan Egypt. But it all begins here in chapter 46 of the book of Genesis, the word of God. Genesis 46, verse 1. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. Then God spoke to Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. So he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not fear to go down to Egypt, for I will make of you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also surely bring you up again. And Joseph will put his hand on your eyes. Then Jacob arose from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob, their little ones and their wives, in the carts which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. So they took their livestock and their goods, which they had acquired in the land of Canaan, and went to Egypt, Jacob and all his descendants with him, his sons and his sons' sons, his daughters and his sons' daughters, and all his descendants he brought with him to Egypt. Now these were the names of the children of Israel, Jacob and his sons, who went to Egypt. Reuben was Jacob's firstborn. The sons of Reuben were Hanak, Pelu, Hezron, and Carmi. The sons of Simeon were Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, Zohar, and Shaal, the son of a Canaanite woman. The sons of Levi were Gershon, Kohath, and Merai. The sons of Judah were Ur, Onan, Shelah, Perez, and Zerah. But Ur and Onan died in the land of Canaan. The sons of Perez were Hezron and Hamuel. The sons of Issachar were Tola, Puva, Job, and Shimron. The sons of Zebulun were Sered, Elon, and Jalael. These were the sons of Leah, whom she bore to Jacob and Padthan Aram with his daughter Dinah. All the persons, his sons and his daughters, were thirty-three. The sons of Gad were Ziphion, Haggai, Shuni, Esbon, Era, Arodi, and Erali. The sons of Asher were Jimna, Ishua, Ishui, Bera, and Sarah, their sister. 
and the sons of Berah were Heber and Malkiel. These were the sons of Zilpah, whom Laban gave to Leah, his daughter, and these she bore to Jacob, sixteen persons. The sons of Rachel, Jacob's wife, were Joseph and Benjamin. And to Joseph in the land of Egypt were born Manasseh and Ephraim, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potipharai, priest of On, bore to him. The sons of Benjamin were Bela, Becher, Ashbel, Gera, Naaman, Ehi, Rosh, Muppin, Huppam, and Ard. These were the sons of Rachel who were born to Jacob, fourteen persons in all. The son of Dan was Hesham. The sons of Naphtali were Jazel, Guni, Jezer, and Shelem. These were the sons of Bila, whom Laban gave to Rachel, his daughter, and she bore these to Jacob, seven persons in all. All the persons who went with Jacob to Egypt, who came from his body besides Jacob's sons, wives, were 66 persons in all. The sons of Joseph, who were born to him in Egypt, were two persons. All the persons of the house of Jacob, who went to Egypt, were 70. Then he sent Judah before him to Joseph to point out before him the way to Goshen. And they came to the land of Goshen. So Joseph made ready his chariot and went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel. And he presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. And Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die since I have seen your face, because you are still alive. Then Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and say to him, My brothers and those of my father's house who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for their occupation has been to feed livestock, and they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. So it shall be when Pharaoh calls you and says, What is your occupation? That you shall say, Your servant's occupation has been with livestock from our youth even till now, both we and also our fathers, that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. Let me just say, as our chapter begins, that if uh, I have mispronounced some of those names. I ask for your patience. It is a difficult thing to do when you don't say these names every single day. It is a difficult thing to do for anyone, I would think, coming from an English-speaking country. And <clears throat> I would also just add that um, if you're ever looking for a unique name for one of your children, you can always come here to the 46th chapter of Genesis. I'm sure you can find something here that would be certainly unique. But seriously, as our chapter begins, it appears that Jacob should go to Egypt. However, there had to be a little bit of a question. After all, Canaan, the land where he is now living, it has been promised to him by God. He's already there. So to stay there would mean starvation. But to go would mean leaving the land that God had promised. So while he must have been thrilled at the thought of seeing Joseph, uh, Joseph again, 
he had to wonder if this was really of God. In all cases, before, when Jacob had moved, it had been at the direction of God. And in all other cases, God appeared before Jacob, as we have seen throughout our study thus far. There would be no appearance this time. And Jacob would be stepping out in faith. What a change has happened here in the character of this man now called Israel. So apparently Jacob had been living in Hebron near the family tomb. Machpelah uh, would be the area where he was when he got the news that Joseph was alive. And if you have a map in your Bible, or perhaps you can find an outline of Jacob's journey there. If not, you can always verify what I'm saying on the internet. Um, the route taken toward Egypt would have been through Beersheba. And on Israel's way to Egypt, the entire clan makes a stop and they stop at Beersheba. And it's here that Jacob offers sacrifices to the Lord. What can you remember about Beersheba? That's correct. This is where Jacob had lived with his father, Isaac. And this is, is a significant stop because now Jacob hears from God. But there's also other significance to the covenant family about this particular location. This was the place that Abraham had made a covenant with Abimelech, and he named the place Beersheba. And this is where Abraham had planted a tree. And this is where Abraham had called upon the name of the Lord, as you might remember from chapters 21, 24. And if you wanted to take a look at chapters 31 through 34 and review that. But remember that phrase, call upon the name of the Lord. This phrase means to worship God. And this is the same location where Abraham was prepared to sacrifice Isaac. And later Isaac would experience a theophany. And we've talked about that many times through the book of Genesis. Isaac would experience a theophany, build an altar here, and he would be reassured three times that God was with him all in this same location. And so now we see Jacob now being called Israel. He comes to this place to worship the one true living God of the covenant people. So why am I going through all of this? I'm going through all of this to simply point out that sometimes you're going to have to take that first step of faith. And I once read somewhere that faith is not believing that God can, but it's knowing that he will. Now that's not scripture, but it often seems that when we do things, when we, when we do the things that we do, and we are doing it based in our faith in him, it seems that to us, from our perspective, then God appears. And I would simply point out that he didn't leave. It's not that God left. It's just that we become aware of his presence once again, and it requires faith and trust. And this is the last record of God appearing to Israel. But in this appearance, God promises four things. One, he reiterates that he will make a great nation out of Jacob. And what Jacob sees now 
is that God's intention was to make Israel this great nation while remaining there, as it says. In other words, remaining in Egypt. So leaving the land of promise now was God's plan for the children of Israel because they would return 400 years later. Number two, God promises to be with Jacob while in Egypt. And this was God reminding Jacob of that stairway to heaven dream. You may remember it was the dream where God promised, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land. Remember that. And number three, God promises that he will bring Jacob out of Egypt again. Now remember this for future study. Did this happen? Question mark. Did it happen? And if so, when? Think about it. And number four, God promises, Joseph shall put his hand upon your eyes. And this means that Joseph, his beloved son, would perform the sacred duty of closing Jacob's eyes at the point of death. And you know, Jacob has stated in many places throughout this story that he was going to die. He, he really sort of seemed to be obsessed with it. And now God shows him that all this fear and all this sorrow and all this thinking about death was really pointless because God's intention was to keep him alive at a minimum, at least until Joseph would be the one to close his eyes. He would not die until Joseph was there. And so some have pointed out that Egypt is a kind of an ark, like as in Noah's ark. Twice here we read that Jacob and his family are to go into Egypt. They are preserved. And in chapter 6 of Genesis, you may recall that we read that Noah and his entire family were to go into the ark. And this same phrase is used twice also. So Israel is held in Egypt for 400 years. And of course, the rain came down for 40 days and 40 nights in Noah's flood. And remember how Noah was mocked because of the unlikeliness of his story. He was building a boat on dry land and he was talking about water falling from the sky, which is something that had never happened before. And so now Jacob takes his family at the command of God into this very unlikely scenario of being housed within another nation for their own preservation, not assimilation. And I wasn't trying to make a rhyme there. It just came out that way. But where else in the history of the world have you seen one nation move into the boundaries of another kingdom and not be assimilated? In fact, the reason that that often happens is for the purpose of assimilation. But God is saying, no, go into Egypt. I'm going to keep you there for 400 years, but you are not going to become Egyptian. You will be preserved as my people in the land of sin. And so many people do see parallels here between the flood of Noah and the story of Israel. And just how many people are we talking about here? Well, as we contemplate verses 5 through 27 of chapter 46 here, I'm going to be making some points about the numbers that we read. And I want to encourage you to study this on your own. But do not go looking for patterns where there are no patterns, where patterns don't exist. 
The point of all this is that the number 70 is seen as a way to emphasize the idea of totality in scripture. It reiterates God's plan is coming to completion and do not lose the bigger picture here. And I don't mean any pun by that, (laughs) but there are a lot of members at this time, a lot of family members. And one of the things that you should notice is that there are are symmetries within this list which are no doubt placed there on purpose both leah and rachel bear twice as many descendants as their maids leah has 33 zilpa has 16 rachel has 14 billa has seven and we know that for example example rachel did not have 14, but these are descendants that come from those lines. So these verses give us the breakdown of Jacob's grandsons who made the journey. And we're not going to list all the names of Jacob's sons. Again, you are welcome to go back and read your Bible for the full list. Just note that it's not really a full list, but it is done in such a way to arrive at these numbers to emphasize certain points. There's a completion that's going on here, a completion to God's plan and moving on to really the next chapter that God has for his covenant people. Also remember that the list does not include two grandsons who died in Canaan. I'm sorry, it does include them. It includes them, but obviously they were not on the trip to Egypt because they died in Canaan. That's what I meant to say. So they're in the list as descendants, but remember There was no possible way that they could have made the journey because they were already dead. So what I will say is that from Leah, Jacob's first wife, the scripture lists Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun with all their sons, which would be Israel's grandsons. It is from Leah that we get 29 total here. And if we add daughters, it brings the total to 33. Up next is Zilpah. Leah's maid. Her sons are Gad and Asher, and they're mentioned here. Bera, uh, one of her grandsons, is mentioned with two sons, Heber and Malkael. I've tried to say that correctly. Hopefully I got it close. <laughs> this would make them great-grandsons of Jacob. So from Zilpah, we now have a total of 16. And now let's look at the favored wife, Rachel the wife Jacob really loved and the one that he really worked for. And as we know, Joseph came from this union and Joseph's sons, Manasseh and Ephraim are going to be very significant by the end of the book of Genesis. And we have the youngest of them all, which is Benjamin. And the sons are listed here as well. And this brings our total from Rachel to 14. And last but not least, we have Billa, who is Rachel's maid and her son's are Dan and Naphtali with their sons listed, bringing Billa's total to seven. So if you add it up, you have 33 plus 16 plus 14 plus seven, that equals 70. And so what this number does not include is servants. And for the most part, it does not include women. So even if we add only another 30 for servants, That gives us 100 people right here. What if there were at least 30 women and daughters 
among this crowd not mentioned. Now we're at 130. And we know Simeon had more than one wife. If the sons followed Jacob's example, they most certainly would have had more than one wife. Certainly there were more than 60 total women and servants. It's reasonable to assume that the number could have been around 200 coming out of Canaan into Egypt. And I consider this a conservative estimate. And this is significant because it shows within two or three generations that God has already begun the work of making Israel a great nation. But wait, there's even more. (laughs) The number 70 is also significant to Israel. There are 70 elders in Numbers 11.16. There are 70 years of captivity in 2 Chronicles 36.21. There are the 70 weeks in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. There are 70 members of the Sanhedrin in the days of Christ. And there are 70 witnesses to Israel sent by Christ in Luke chapter 10, verse 1. And I'm sure there's more examples. But I only wish to point out that this number holds a significant value in the Hebrew mind. And it shows completion with the things of God. As we bring our focus back to Joseph and this amazing family reunion, try once again to put yourself into the story. Imagine being away from your father with absolutely no contact from the age of 17 to 39. Think of the anticipation as Israel instructs Judah to go ahead of the clan and let Ju- and let Joseph know that they will meet him in Goshen. Interestingly, Israel did not ask sons one, two, or three. He asked Judah, son number four. Remember, this had already been arranged back in chapter 45, verse 10. So imagine Joseph arriving in style, because I believe he did arrive in style. It is most likely that Joseph did not travel alone. He no doubt would have had an entourage of servants and runners to prepare the way, his own personal security. Everything would have to be perfect for the arrival of the governor of all Egypt and his family. There would be a display of power and grace as Joseph now descends from the chariot, dressed, as I have described before, like an Egyptian ruler from the ruling class. And for this occasion, I personally imagine him in white linen, which would have marked him as a member of the aristocracy. And at this point, Joseph falls upon his father's neck and weeps. And all of the pomp and circumstance, all of the royalty, all of the imagery, the clothing, all of it, nothing matters. There's a phrase here that says that he wept on his father's neck a good while. And that would indicate Joseph was so overcome with his emotions that all he could do was hold his father and cry. Years had been lost, friends, which would never be recovered. However, the Lord was clearly using all of these events for his plan and for his glory. 
And remember, our losses in this life are always for our good and God's glory. In verse 30, Israel states that he can now die since he knows that Joseph is alive. And this is similar to what we read in Luke chapter 2, verse 29, when uh, Simeon holds the baby Jesus and he states, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. In other words, I have seen the promises of God fulfilled, and now I can die knowing that this same God of promise in this life will surely keep his promises in my death. And friends, this really is at the heart of Christianity, that our God is a God of promise. And he's a God of promise not only in this life, but in our physical death and in the life to come. If I can depend upon him for promises to be kept in this lifetime, then I can certainly entrust him with my death and all of eternity. So once they could get a hold of themselves, Israel and Joseph had to get down to the business of where they could live and what to say to Pharaoh. And both secular history and biblical history confirm that Egyptians despised the occupation of sheep herding. And I do not understand this since so much of the life and the economy of the ancients was wrapped up in this occupation. But this was so. This is how it was. In fact, when the birth of Jesus was announced by the angels, it was the shepherds who were told. And we know that from what we read there, not much had really changed. People did not like shepherds. And people certainly didn't like them at this point in history either. We should remember, though, that Israel was there to be preserved. He was not there to be integrated into Egyptian society, either as the individual Israel or as the nation Israel. And perhaps Joseph desired to keep his family to the north of Egypt in the unsettled land of Goshen. So if you look at a map, you can see these things for yourself. Uh, this way, the nation of Israel would be out of sight of the Egyptians, and they would also be kept separated and not assimilated into the Egyptian culture. And we see here the wisdom of Joseph on display once more. Pharaoh would not have to worry about Joseph and nepotism. Joseph would remain the government official while his family would be far enough away not to interfere. In other words, there would be no political threat, but the family would also benefit from Egyptian protection and provision. And everybody wins, at least, as we've already talked about, at least they win for a time. And I've been reading a commentary as... Um, toward the latter part of the book of Genesis in these later chapters. And I've quoted from this individual several times. Here's a quote from Kent Hughes, who writes about this part of our study. He writes, quote, What a grace the ark of Egypt was. There at the fertile borders of Egypt, the people of Israel benefited 
from the prosperity and protection of Egypt without surrendering their distinctives. There they honed their spiritual and national identity. There they grew from a mere handful to a great nation. There they later fell out of favor with a new regime that did not know Joseph, Exodus 1.8, and underwent the sanctifying graces of suffering. There they birthed their greatest of all leaders, Moses, and there they experienced the mighty power of God as he affected the Exodus. I love that quote because it sums up what we're seeing here in this 46th chapter of Genesis. Dear Christian, this is our hope. God has preserved for himself a people of the new covenant, and he has preserved us in a land of pagan beliefs. This world is no more our home than Egypt was to Israel. We dwell in the land, but we are citizens of a different kingdom altogether. And just as both Jacob here in Genesis and Simeon of the book of Luke were ready to die in peace, having seen the promises of God fulfilled, so we too can be ready when this life ends. For this same God who has the power to raise his only son from the grave will surely grant to all those in his new covenant the gift of eternal life, raising them from the grave as well. Amen. again for listening to the forge podcast and don't forget to leave a review with comments let me hear from you leave a voice message through the link i hope and pray that you find ways to apply the truths of god's word in daily living remember dear christian you are forgiven it is by grace that you've been saved through faith may you grow in christ in the study of the bible and truly overcome wounds that were caused by sinful choices and actions of the past. I also pray that you are always reforming, seeking to glorify God in all that you say and do. Remember to be grateful to God for what he is working out, not only in you, but in all his creation as well. And lastly, be encouraged, encouraged to serve God and others as you grow in him.